Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director, and this is the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. We will give you every weeknight the most important elements of this historic impeachment inquiry into President Donald Trump. Today, we are coming at you from the Novo Theater in Los Angeles. You may hear a little echo here as we're uh, upstairs in a big cavernous green room in this theater uh, where CNN will be hosting uh, the Equality Town Hall uh, on Thursday night. Joining me here at the Novo Theater in Los Angeles to help make sense of this last 24 hours, or perhaps I should say these last two hours, because the developments happen so quickly, CNN law enforcement analyst Josh Campbell. He is also the author of the new book, Crossfire Hurricane Inside Donald Trump's War on the FBI. Josh, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, David, and welcome to Southern California. Ah, Thank you. It's amazing. Great part of the country. Um, I'm jealous you get to live here. Uh, Josh, this morning, uh, we learned, I think, in the clearest signal yet, that the Trump administration is going to launch an epic battle with Congress in this impeachment inquiry. Now, we knew it was going to be a big political brawl, but now it seems this is going to be a real institutional brawl between the executive and the legislative, uh, because there seems to be a clear intent on the Trump administration not to cooperate in any way whatsoever with what the House Democrats are looking for. And and sort of exhibit A of that today was the ambassador to the EU, the big uh, Trump donor and and campaign uh, fundraiser uh, Sondland was supposed to testify today. And at the last minute, uh, clearly with decision making and pressure from the White House, the State Department pulled him and said he's not going to testify. He says he, he wanted to testify. Just let's start there. That act alone of this guy who is central to what is going on in this story about Ukraine, you read the text messages, being pulled by the administration not to testify. What's your take on that? Well, there's certainly a showdown that's uh, underway right now between the two branches of government. And if you think about it, I mean, obviously you have the one entity uh, remaining that is possibly in a, p- a position to get to the bottom of what happened with this Ukraine scandal, talking about the, the Congress. Uh, but as you mentioned, it appears as though the White House is going to do whatever they can uh, in order to slow those efforts or possibly you know, disrupt them all together. Now, what's so fascinating, there's so many layers to this onion when it talks, we talk about the Ukraine scandal. Uh, but the one overarching issue here is that the actions of the White House and what the president is saying and what he writes on Twitter doesn't seem to square with the reality in a normal situation. So the president says he did everything right. He had this beautiful con- conversation. Nothing was wrong. If that happened to you or I, we would be welcoming witnesses to come forward and describe these beautiful conversations. But obviously, that's not the case. We see the White House now blocking. Uh, what, what is fascinating is that 
the ambassador has said that he wants to talk. We heard the, saw a statement from his lawyer. Uh, many questions remain there about whether, you know, how forthcoming he really wants to be, or are they just hiding behind this cloak of, you know, again, White House obstruction uh, yet to be seen? Yeah, I mean, it's clear just from reading the president's Twitter feed today, uh, the one part the president really wants Sondland to testify is the part that he coordinated the messaging with, it seems, the president uh, when he heard from a uh, career uh, foreign official uh, uh, over over in Ukraine saying, are we really tying aid, security aid to the Ukrainians to a domestic political request and how he thought that was insane? And uh, it was clear in the delay and now learning and reporting that Sondland, who is Trump's guy, coordinated with the president, spoke to him and came up and said, absolutely no quid pro quo. The president couldn't be more clear of this. The president tweeted that out again today and said, case closed. That clearly is not the only question Democrats have for him. No, not at all. Many, many questions there. And what's so interesting about this ambassador is that, you know, you go back and look throughout time. Anytime a government official writes, we should really not be memorializing this conversation. Uh, your ears should perk up. And obviously, there, there's probably more to the story there. What's so fascinating is after the career ambassador, as you mentioned, you know, with this indignation, and said, are we really going to do this? Uh, the response from Sondland was, call me. And then you have, you know, a follow-on conversation, which we don't know what the substance of that was yet. And then what's fascinating is after this period of time passes where we believe that was a time that Sondland was in coordinating, you know, with the White House and the State Department, he sends this very verbose uh, text message uh, and actually says, you know, we shouldn't really do this by text. Um, but he, I think he knew what the career ambassador was doing, and that was putting on the record that this is something taking place that just isn't done and at least worried him enough uh, to, to speak about it. It'll be interesting to see if there are other witnesses to these conversations who come forward. I suspect we're going to see the invoking of privilege, anything that's involving the president. We may never, you know, it may never see the light of day. Uh, but again, a lot of key witnesses that members of Congress certainly want to question. Yeah. You say when he came back with a verbose text, it was very crafted uh, messaging for public consumption, assuming that this may, one day may be public, which is why he really didn't want to be discussing it over text. I want you to hear what Adam Schiff, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, uh, said this morning after uh, the news had developed that the State Department and the White House would not allow someone to testify. Here, here's what Adam Schiff had to say. The failure to produce this witness, the failure to produce these documents, um, we consider yet additional strong evidence of obstruction of the constitutional functions of Congress. And uh, before I get your take on that, I also want to hear uh, a Republican on the committee, Jim Jordan of Ohio. Uh, I want you to hear how the Republicans were pushing back on Schiff's messaging today. Look, we were actually looking forward to hearing from Ambassador Sondland. We thought he was going to reinforce exactly what Ambassador Volcker told us last week. But again, unfortunately, when you have a Speaker of the House who says we need to strike while the iron's hot. And the guy running the process, Chairman Schiff, didn't even tell us that he had met with the whistleblower prior to the whistleblower filing the complaint. So, Josh, according to Schiff, this isn't just about anymore uh, what the president actually did, invited a foreign country to interfere in the 2020 election and help dig dirt on his potential political opponent. Uh, 
it now also clearly extends to obstruction of Congress. No, absolutely. And I think that this puts the White House in a very dicey position because the dynamic at play here is not something that they have seen before as it relates to other entities that might be able to hold them to account. When you have the chairman of the Intelligence Committee saying that the very act of keeping us from gathering information is now a potential additional layer in this impeachment inquiry. Again, I think we're going to see this cascade. I don't think that the White House, I mean, I understand that, you know, if their goal is to shield information to keep it from getting to these uh, oversight officials. Uh, that's one thing just to you know obstruct. But again, if that is in and of itself going to be yet another prong, another area where these congressional members will be investigating, uh, I think it's going to be a tough road ahead for the White House. Josh and I are going to have a ton more to analyze in just a moment, including brand new poll numbers. You see the political landscape shifting under the president's feet. Uh, all of that right after this break. Welcome back to the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. Josh Campbell is my guest today. He is the author of Crossfire Hurricane, Inside Donald Trump's War on the FBI. He is also uh, a CNN law enforcement analyst. Josh, uh, the Washington Post had a new poll today. And what it showed is actually something similar that we saw in our CNN poll uh, last week, which is some movement, not just among Democrats, but among independents and significantly Republicans in a more uh, being more open to impeachment. The, the, the stat that sort of struck me this morning when I read the poll was that when The Washington Post tested this in July, only 7% of Republicans were in favor of an impeachment inquiry. That number is now up to 28% among Republicans. I, this isn't removal from office, just an impeachment inquiry. It's huge for a couple of reasons. One, to me, obviously, Context is king here, right? So to me, this tells me that the Ukraine story is resonating in a way either because it is about not the past, but the actual current election cycle that we're in, Mm -hmm. or because he is a sitting president of the United States and not a candidate. Um, But it also just may be that it is simpler to understand all of that. It just seems one poll number was from the context of just Mueller and Russia and two years of that. And then there's this other poll number that is after fast-moving new developments that the country seems to be understanding. That That's one. Two, his support among Republicans generally, you don't usually see three in 10 Republicans in a non-Trump position, right? That, to me, is also significant. Now, we're not seeing tons of cracks on Capitol Hill yet, but I do think these numbers are going to matter as this moves forward to possible articles of impeachment and to the trial in the Senate. No, absolutely. And I think that you keyed in on, on, at least in my judgment, the one overarching factor, and that is how easy it is to digest this latest scandal when, when compared with the last. You look at the Mueller investigation, obviously multi, multi-pronged, where you had a special prosecutor who was looking into potential collusion or conspiracy between a campaign, uh, not the president or president-elect at the time, but his people in his orbit. You had four people that were under investigation 
for their own individual suspicious ties to the Russians. So there was that. And then fast forward, there was this whole other element of potential obstruction of justice where the president fired the person running the investigation, the FBI director. Do you know a little bit about that? Who I know, yeah, my former (laughs) boss, I know a little bit about. Uh, So there's that the public is trying to understand. And then fast forward to the actual report itself, which was over 400 pages uh, going through all of this uh, investigative activity. And then in the end, this overarching, uh, very confusing for, I think, a lot of people policy within the Department of Justice that regardless of what criminality was found against the president, Mueller indicated some 10 instances of potential obstruction of justice. None of it mattered because the Justice Department wasn't going to move on it. That took a lot to say. That was a mouthful. Whereas the Ukraine scandal, we can read it for ourselves. The White House released this rough transcript. We can see the president trying to get a foreign government to interfere in the U.S. election. That is easier to digest. And we, you know, we've been referring to it. Both you and I have said Ukraine scandal. It really is an American election scandal. Right. I mean, that's really what it is. Right. Uh, the president of the United States seeking help from a foreign country uh, to to dig up dirt on a potential political opponent for him to better his chances at re-election. It, it is a, a domestic American election interference scandal. And I, I guess, which I guess that's the one common thread uh, to the to the Russian invasion. I wonder if you could Give me your thoughts about watching the White House and the Trump team respond to the Russia investigation and how they dealt with Mueller to what you see them doing now in how they're dealing with the whistleblower, how they're dealing with uh, House Democrats, similarities, differences. What do you see? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I just wrote a book chronicling the experience throughout the Mueller investigation of people inside the FBI and the Justice Department, obviously the American people uh, staring at this action over the course of nearly two years. And what was interesting is that I, I feel this is essentially uh, a roadmap to the impeachment inquiry that we're at today because we're seeing the same tactics tactics and techniques that the president used against Mueller now underway in trying to discredit those involved in uh, this Ukraine scandal, the election scandal, as you mentioned, Uh, the whistleblower now, who's now a prime target the president has blasted, which uh, we've seen a pattern, obviously, this collision of politics and national security. I think the more we see the president do something, uh, the more we start to normalize it, or he at least hopes. But I don't think that we can get past the fact that a sitting president is blasting a government whistleblower who is coming forward to report abuse. But again, you look at the language. Which, by the way, we should, I just, sorry to interrupt you, but that he, Trump's appointed uh, head of of the uh, national intelligence, director of national intelligence, the acting one, uh, he's appointed ICIG, the inspector general, said the whistleblower did everything by the book here. So that's who the president is attacking. Somebody his own people have said was handled himself completely according to the law. No, exactly. And, you know, he's using this terminology, witch hunt. Uh, You know, if you think about this deep state claim that the so-called deep state that the president was engaged in this campaign of attack against the law enforcement intelligence community during Mueller, what he was basically saying is these people are leaking, they're trying to destroy me, they're out to get me. This whistleblower did the opposite of that. He went through the normal uh, legal processes in order to report suspected wrongdoing, which, by the way, every American should want. If there's someone in the intelligence community who sees wrongdoing, they want people to report that. But nevertheless, I think we're going to continue to see the gaslighting. Uh, we're going to continue to see the president's allies. I mean, we heard just a little while ago from Representative Jim Jordan, you played the clip where he's blasting Chairman Schiff for not telling him about meeting with the whistleblower, muddying the waters here, trying to confuse people when at the end of the day, this couldn't be more simpler. So tell me from your inside perspective, you, you worked at the FBI, law enforcement community, you obviously interacted a lot with the intelligence community uh, more broadly. What when an, when the president of the United States is picking fight 
intelligence with people inside that intelligence community, the the whole purpose of which is to provide the president uh, with the best information possible to make decisions. You can already sense the same president is uh, not so pleased with certain people in the State Department now, and that can grow into this. When an administration or a president is sort of at war with itself, uh, what does that do in terms of the national security of the United States? Well, so two things. First of all, it, it really angers those inside the intelligence community. I know, you know, have, having numbers of contact, a number of contacts there, both having served and then now obviously in journalism, uh, it started as frustration and now it's built to anger. We have a president who's essentially saying in its most basic form, he's saying that they violated their oath to the Constitution by going after him. And so that is just in and of itself a morale issue. But it's worse than that, because if you're an intelligence professional, as you mentioned, who's charged with providing the president with the best information available, and the president is continuing to continuing to question your own, uh, you know, allegiances and your own loyalty as it relates to the Constitution. How can you be confident that the information that you provide is a going to be accepted, you know, with the expertise provided? But then also, as you look outward at our intelligence partners around the world, I mean, they're now scratching their heads as well, knowing that you have a president who doesn't even believe his own intelligence community. He's siding with people like Vladimir Putin and other despots over his own intelligence community. So this reverberates. There are many, many negative long, uh, long-term consequences to his actions right now. That said, I don't think he thinks that far ahead. I will say I don't think he wakes up every day thinking, how am I going to harm U.S. national security? But I think it's so transactional that he's trying to get through the day and survive the latest political scandal. He doesn't mind who he's going to steamroll or which norm he's going to blast through if it accomplishes that goal. I mean, if that, everything you described, is not a constitutional crisis, uh, I, I don't I don't know what is. Josh, where do you think this story is going tomorrow? What, what are you looking for? Yeah, well, you know, this thing changes by the hour, as you say. And in the matter of us sitting here uh, for this show, there may have been 10 other stories that happen right now. So tomorrow we'll recap uh, the day's events. We'll look at this continued conflict between the Republicans and Senate, uh, and Democrats in the Congressional Intelligence Committee, uh, as well as those who are, you know, charged with overseeing impeachment. We'll also be looking back into history. We have some great guests uh, lined up. And I really want to dive into uh, the era of Watergate, the last major you know, impeachment uh, uh, scandal that we saw, and really talk about how that relates to today. One thing I will be interested in, uh, interested in is, you know, there was obviously one key witness, John Dean, who came forward and basically laid the whole story out. Who is the John Dean of our day with this Trump scandal? We'll dig into that. Josh, thank you uh, for being here today on the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. Thanks to those of you listening. We've got a new podcast every weeknight. In fact, Josh will be here uh, pinch hitting for me tomorrow. So please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever your favorite podcast app is. And while you're there, do us a favor. Please leave us a rating or a review. It really helps people find the show. We'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.